0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Slichot teaching with Beit Shuva chaplain Adam Siegel. Here we are out on Ziering Family Field and enjoying this nice balmy Los Angeles evening together. And in a reunion time, sometimes... We begin with a blessing, and that blessing is a blessing of Shekhinah. I'm going to invite us to recite that blessing because it's a blessing that we're going to study. I'm going to share some study sheets with you. Uh, so hold on just one second so you can have the text in front of you. We're calling this evening's learning sustaining us to this season as you reach into the year 5784. As you take a learning sheet, we'll ask you to look at the first blessing on the page. And if the Hebrew is challenging to your tongue, you can echo each of the words in the blessing. And we'll say together, Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Relech Ha'olam Sheheth Eyanu V'Khiyamayu V'Higiyayu L'Azman Ha'Zeh We thank God for having caused us to be in a place of life, we give God credit for being alive. That's where we start this blessing. And we also give God credit for being the kiyamanu, and the higianu lazman And And manu generally, we translate as having sustained us, or having established us through this season. And it turns out that this year, we as a community at Beth are going to be focusing on this idea of sustenance. How are we sustained as a community, as individuals, as families, as a world? We use sustenance in a lot of different ways. Sustenance sometimes refers to food. Sustenance sometimes refers to environmentalism. That's when we usually conjugate it as sustainability. How sustainable is this practice? Sustainability is also a word that we use when we think about our own personal health. Like, is this thing that I am doing a sustainable practice? Am I waking up every day? And is the thing that I am doing, which is working today, going to work for me going forward tomorrow and the next week and the next month and the next? This is the exploration that we want to be in this evening with you for slichot. What sort of sustainable practices are you going to be engaged in, and what is the role of the Holy One, of the Great Heavenly Power, in getting you through to this next year and through 5784 this next year in a little while we're going to break up into groups study groups to be in conversation about three different interpretations of the pathway of sustainability and i could have chosen many many different texts that take us down different rabbit holes of what sustains us to a particular season. Now the first text, an anonymous narrative of refugeeism and an arrival through a family's story of travel, really centered around the Passover season and the Seder table, that story is a story that mixes vikimanu, vihigianu lasman Hase. It's a story that answers the question, how do we find sustenance from season to season? We find sustenance through the happenstance, the luck and the gift of God, who gives us the pathway That is granted to us by dint of the family that we are born into, the story that we find ourselves stitched into because of where we are in the narrative of whatever grander family story we're in, friend circle story we're in. This story doesn't speak of choices made. This story speaks of choices made for us. If you look at the back of the first page, I highlight this text, which I hope you'll focus on together. And when we say this, when we say, praise are you, Adonai, our God, sovereign of the universe, for giving us life, for sustaining us and for allowing us to arrive at this time, we will understand just what it means to arrive at this time and from where we have come. And maybe then we will reflect on all those people who helped us get here and those who are not here. And that while we are free, others are still struggling for their redemption and waiting for us. And we will come to understand how our lives and our destinies are absolutely bound together. Our freedom is still partial. This text challenges us, and I challenge you as a group, to read through it more fully and to look at the prompting questions afterwards, to think about how sustainability is sometimes out of our control. Sustainability is sometimes about the choices that are made for us, and sometimes about the choices that we make in response to the circumstances that we find ourselves in, and also the choices that we make to respond to other people based on the circumstances that they find themselves in. It has us focusing on the role that other people play in our sustenance, in our being sustained through each season. It makes us wonder how much our freedom is a matter of our choice. And it makes us wonder, especially in that last little bit, what does it mean for our freedom only to be partial? Does that have to do also with our freedom being in the hands of someone else, perhaps being in the hands of a higher power. I wanna introduce you to the second text and then I'll turn it over to Rabbi Klickfeld to introduce us to the third. The second text goes to food. Yay, food. (laughs) Food is very interesting. Food is also an object of a lot of tension. Food can be an object of of wanting. Food can be an object of ploy. Food can be an object where sustenance is is for wanting. And we know that from the story of the wilderness. And there is a question brought in the Talmud in this text from a tractate called Yoma. That's where the story comes from. And the students of Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai came to him And they asked, why was it that the manna, this miraculous food that fell from the heaven, why didn't it just come down in some sort of a yearly supply from the heaven? Why didn't it just come down so that they could put it all in their Costco lockers? That's not the language they use, but you understand what I'm saying. So they could all just gather it up, put it away, have it for the year, and there it would be. Why didn't it all just fall at once? And the rabbi responds with a story, which I hope you'll read in more detail, to say basically there was a king who had a single son. He granted him an allowance for food only once a year, and the son only greeted his father once a year. And therefore, the father changed his habits of giving the son food in order to see his son more often. I'm going to encourage you to read this story in more depth with the groups that you're with and use these prompting questions to think about sustenance, how you are sustained through the people who have the power to feed you both literally and figuratively To ask the question of one another, is it ever okay for sustenance to be transactional? For any parent who's ever fed a baby, or any person who's ever served as a nanny or a babysitter, I ask the same question, isn't that transactional? And if that is okay, then when does it stop being okay? And what does this text, when you read it in depth, seem to say that if the king is the model of who God is, God wanting us to come and greet God more often than just that once a year, should God have given us the manna only once a year, and we only encounter God that one time, if God wants to see us more often, then why? What is God trying to get out of us coming to God for sustenance? Why do people want us to come to them for sustenance? why do people want us to rely on them for sustenance? And finally, and you'll see why in the text, is prayer itself a form of sustenance? Does it keep us? Does it sustain us? And perhaps speak personally within your group about how prayer might be a form of sustenance for you. Or not. So for the introduction of the third text, I'm going to invite Rabbi Adam Klickfeld, who's the senior rabbi of Bethlehem.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you, Rabbi Chorni, for bringing this event together. Thank you to all those from Beit Shuba who are here. The bracha that we're so used to, the Shecheyano bracha, has three verbs that are sort of intentionally synonymous, right? To have been kept alive, to have been sustained, and to have been brought to a spot. So they're synonymous, but they have different overtones. And so we've broken it down into three different possible ways that one can... And you can choose which one you want to attach to which be brought alive to a certain moment be sustained through a certain moment and to be taken to a certain moment in life and the first two paradigms that rabbi Chorney spoke about have to do with some external extrinsic force that allowed you to be where you are if you're talking about peoplehood right we didn't have a direct role in sinai We didn't have a direct role in our ancestors. This is our story coming over from Europe and landing in the United States. We're the recipients. We are the outcome of those tremendous sagas, but we didn't have a direct role in it. And if you're leaning into the notion that one of the things that we rely on God for is sustenance, then it is God who provides to make sure that we have food. And even if you don't want to take a theological route, unless you are a fully self-sustaining agriculturalist and farmer, which some people are, you are relying on an enormous number of people for you to be well, for you to be okay. Right? It's actually overwhelming to walk through the supermarket and try to imagine the lives of the human beings who produced every pepper, every jar, every farmer who tended to a cow that produced milk. It's impossible to imagine any calorie really entering into our body without a reliance on others. It's okay and holy to be reliant on others for well-being, I would think, provided that we can express gratitude towards them. There's also a type of sustenance that no one else can give except our giving it to ourselves. It's a deep deep inner wellness that transcends wealth or poverty. It might even transcend health or sickness, which is not to suggest that poverty and sickness is not a terrible scourge, but there is something in the power of the human condition that allows us to claim sustenance for ourselves on some level, independent of what is going around us. There are a lot of English words for it. There are a lot of Hebrew words for it. Equanimity, serenity, Tranquility. A soulful wellness. Or as you'll read in the text. Yishuv Hadad. The fact that the mind is stable and set. It's not easy. It can be elusive. When the circumstances are challenging to us. Whether it be financial or material or medical. It can be incredibly hard. But when we harness it. Nothing is as hard as it once was. Sometimes all it requires is the intentional lowering of your eyelids, as we discuss in the meditative mode, not for slumber, but for a different kind of wakefulness. Sometimes what it requires is a understanding of your situation and and having some perspective on how it could be actually significantly worse. It's cultivated like any Character trait; It can't simply be just brought up at will and used on a utilitarian level. There's a paradox that you can't really harness this kind of wellness only in the moments that you need it. But if you harness it all the time, then when you need it, you will have it. So when you get to the third text, through the paradigm of Isaac, Yitzchak, someone who suffered as a child, way beyond his control as he was offered as a potential sacrifice in the altar, and then lived a life to become a patriarch and produce offspring whose names we still remember today, the author imagines what was it that allowed Yitzchak to have an inner wellness independent of the storms that were forming around him and could have taken away his sense of wellness. When everyone else wants to take away your wellness, when every circumstance is challenging, you are being okay. You still have the power to arrive at tranquility and serenity if you know how to harness it. So look forward to hearing your responses when you get to that part of the day.
0: Thank you, Rabbi Klickfeld. And it's not an accident that I asked Rabbi Klickfeld to introduce that text as we end every meditation on Fridays and otherwise with a prayer that Three times over brings us to a place of equanimity throughout the week. Uh, it is not easy to achieve, and it is something that is constantly uh, in a paradox. It's something that we strive for.
2: So thank you, Rabbi Cantor. So, um, so right. So, so story and narrative, and personal story, story and narrative, is uh, is essential, and it's such a core component to the the lives of the the folks in the Beit community and the, the community itself. And so it really sets a tone for uh, in, in having people share aspects of their story and reflect them aspects of the story, we're able to see ourselves and we're able to learn and grow. And so I don't think that there's oftentimes a better way to be able to be provided a mirror at times to see ourselves. And, uh, and especially at this time, uh, in this moment, talking about being, being acknowledging uh, of the present, uh, to hear the story of, of someone who's... Uh, who's come and traveled, uh, quite a distance, uh, and continues to find ways to contribute, uh, by sharing himself to, uh, to members of our community. So I have, uh, so I have one of our staff members, Melvin, uh, who will come up and, uh, and share a little bit about, what we have been talking and talk, uh, sharing about um, sustainability and sustain, uh, sustaining, uh, a life of, um, spiritual recovery. And so he'll, he'll share a few words of wisdom.
3: Right, Melvin. Yay. Thank you. Shalom, my name is Melvin, a grateful member of the Vaishiva community. I'm Melvin. I feel very honored to be joining all of you tonight as a guest in this in this temple. At this point in my life, no kindness or blessing is lost on me. I'm very grateful to be here. Thank you all so much. On this day, when, when Shluchot are recited, and Rosh Hashanah is quickly approaching us, it has offered me a time to reflect on so many things. As a Jewish man coming from a background of addiction and incarceration, I've come to truly appreciate the High Holy Days and the days which precede them. In the month of Elul, we as a people and a community are presented with the opportunity to do a heshbon hanefesh. accounting of the soul this accounting allows us to recognize those things that we would like to change in our lives but our rabbis teach us that in doing our inventory we are not only to look at where we could have done better but to take an accounting of the things that we have done well for after for after all the true assessment isn't one-sided but takes all things into account Keeping track of the good we bring to the Olam will help us reinforce those behaviors on a continued basis. In my, in my own Hizban Hanifesh, I found much room for change, more patience, more empathy, more love. But I also found things that I was proud of. To name one thing, I have found ways to maintain myself in recovery and to pay forward what has been gifted to me in sobriety through acts of service and working in recovery. I came to Bay in April of last year after 19 consecutive years in prison and found a home, a community and a career doing something I love, working and helping addicts like myself. I went through the program, was given an internship in the clinical department as a program facilitator Now I've been hired as full-time staff in that same department. In my job, all the things I've learned in recovery have come to serve me. While I love the work I do and the people I serve, there are days in dealing with difficult clients where I can see the positive impact of what I've learned in my Judaism and my recovery. I've dealt with clients who've talked to me poorly, and I've... Okay, excuse me uh treated me like they're like they poorly treated personal assistant. I've dealt with clients that curse at me every time they see me. My manner of addressing this situation is markedly and drastically different from the way I used to deal with high stress situations where I had no time for for entitled rude or excuse me, I had no time or patience for entitled, rude or disrespectful behavior which at one point in my life would have been met with a fight fire with fire perspective. And now the words, and now the words and actions, oh, excuse me, I didn't proofread this. Uh-huh. Um, and the words and actions match. Now through having recovery for our community, I've been able to develop coping skills and a support network by taking direction from others in my community, while seeing those I serve as no worse than myself, all human beings struggling against their disease, and like, and like all souls, worthy of dignity and respect, thus allowing me to see all the clients I work with through the lens of empathy, hope, and compassion. In closing, I would like to thank Beit Shuba, all my friends and family, all the entire Jewish community, for giving me hope, love, and support upon my journey. Last but not least, I would like to thank the love of my life, my Shibu, for her love, patience, and support, for treating me, for supporting me, and teaching me to never underestimate the love, strength, and wisdom of a good Jewish woman. I love you beyond words, uh, shalom and thank you all so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you Ma, for sharing that piece of yourself and for, for sharing that snapshot in time of you and for all the snapshots in time of you. We're so glad to meet this version of you glad for any version of you, but we're especially glad to meet this version of you. And it's a privilege tonight to hear all of the rawness that we are coming to this month of Abul and now into the month of Tishrei with. I'm so glad that you spoke a little bit about words and actions matching each other. Words don't have to be perfect and our actions don't have to be perfect, but I wanted to close a little bit about the matching of words and actions together. We have this cafe that we started uh, a little while back. It's kind of a, an evolution. We wanted some good coffee or better coffee, excuse me. We wanted some better coffee on Shabbat morning here. So we began serving uh, each other coffee at what we call Cafe TVA on Shabbat mornings, and we began teaching in that cafe for 15 minutes at a time. And we began a series teaching on the liturgy and one morning, someone asked me why it is that we sing ashray, the prayer that we are about to sing in the Slichot services, why sing it three times a day? There are so many reasons given across Mishnah and Talmud, across the rabbinic literature, as to why we're supposed to say ashray three times a day, that it becomes obvious that it was a fixed practice to say ashray three times a day, the Psalm 145 plus, to say that uh, three times a day, Long, uh, the reason had long been lost. Because people were fixing after the fact some sort of a reason. They were searching. Why was it that we were supposed to be saying the psalm three times a day? People said, because, ashray, because you're supposed to be, it sounds like you're being enriched. And that must be it. They said, because it's an alphabetical acrostic, but it's not the only al- al- alphabetical acrostic. The most compelling reason most compelling reason that I found in all of rabbinic literature, and this is just what speaks to me, speaks to the theme of this evening. It's the alphabetical line that matches the pay. The line says, They open, he opens, God opens, your hand, and satiates for every living creature according to its need. What the rabbis teach about this is that it's the one line in the entire psalm that reminds us that it's not enough to simply pray. We have to be praying with action in mind at all times. I don't know about you, but you may have been in prayer spaces where you've seen people lift their palms at that line. Just like, just as God is the maker of peace in the heavens, we also wish that God makes peace on earth. We also wish to be mirrors of God here on earth. Just as God is a sustainer, we too want to be sustainers. So when we say that God is potech et yadecha, and we pray that God is the maspil lecho chay Zone, is the one who satiates every living creature, we realize we have a role in this. We have a role in sustenance. Tonight we talked about so many different roles that we hold and sustenance. We hold a role in self-sustenance. We have to feed ourselves. We have to feed ourselves. We have to feed others when we see that they are hungry, starving, quite literally, or sometimes they are spiritually in need. If you read the second text, you think about what that withholding also can do, the power that withholding has. And we have to sustain ourselves sometimes through a power of what is so, I think, funnily worded in English, but is is actually a great phrase, girding our loins. What a funny, funny phrase, girding our loins. What does that mean? I think it means steal yourself, S-T-E-E-L, steal yourself. The description that the author uses in this text is like a surfer on a surfboard. Like a surfer on a surfboard. How do you sustain yourself like a surfer on a surfboard? To develop a core of steel so that you can sustain yourself through the waves that come and come and come. Sustenance does not always come by means of feeding yourself. Sustenance sometimes comes by way of preparing yourself for what is to be. Sustenance comes sometimes by way of preparing for what is coming to be. As we move into the slichot service this evening, here is my prayer for you, and it's twofold. The first is that I hope that you find for yourself at least one new avenue. For sustenance in 5784. One new strength to sustain yourself, to sustain others, to prepare yourself for equanimity, even when it feels like the world is unsustainable around you. That's one prayer. Here's the second the second is a Kavanah, it's an intentionality for you. Slihot is a wall of prayers. Rosh Hashanah, that big, thick, heavy machzor, Yom Kippur, is a wall of prayers. Open your palms. Don't forget that prayer needs action. Don't forget that part. Please find something beginning this evening. In the prayer book that speaks to you, that sparks in you, that already awakens in you something that is actionable, something that feels doable, something that awakens, a piece of you that lets you open up your hand and say, I can do something. I can do something about this. I